you know him as Dr. Trek, but how much do you really know about Larry Nemechek? How did he discover Star Trek? Why was he asked to create the Star Trek The Next Generation Companion? And what is his reaction to the news that the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror is giving the TNG cast a Lifetime Achievement Award? I've got the answers to these questions and more in my first interview of 2024. Me? Oh, I'm T. Rick Jones, and this is your Daily Star Trek News. So I guess my first question to to um, get started, because I've never heard the story if you've told it, is how did you discover Star Trek and what about it appealed to you? <laughs> Go uh, way okay. back to the beginning. This is no, this is a I, I this is one thing I can I crystallize. No, um, I didn't run. I didn't control the TV. I had a 10 years older brother. Uh, I was a kid. Uh-huh. I would have been if I could have toddled over the TV and controlled the dial because we didn't have remotes. Um, I could and would have. I remember Lost in Space being on as a little kid and playing that at recess. But um, not until I was like in junior high and we had a first year science teacher right out of OU. And she was, and so, you know, always brilliant and starry eyed when they're right out of college, right? They haven't been worn down. (laughs) And, um, and she was great, and she probably had about, you know, I say she had teacher's pets, but, but probably she had about 15 teacher's pets in a classroom. She was just like that. And uh, one day, like in the spring of my freshman year, I just remember walking by her desk and a couple other students, both of them girls, were they were sitting around kind of giggling with her in, in an appropriate way. And uh, we were done at the end of the hour. And... I said, what are you all up to? And I looked at them and they all had like a Sharpie or an ink pen, put blue dots right in the middle of their foreheads. And I'm looking at them. I said, what are you all doing? I said, what are you, the the Ajax blue dot cleanser man? Harriet, the Ajax turned blue. And they were like, no, Larry, we're Hawkins. And I go, what? And they said, we're Hawkins. And I said, what? You know, the Hawkins from Mirror Mirror. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, and they said, we're Hawkins. I said, what are you talking about? And I, the words I will never forget. Uh, Mrs. Pollard looked at me. She said, oh, Larry, don't tell me you don't know Star Trek. And I was like, is that the show with the guy with the ears in space? <laughs> and she, because I knew that I was aware, you know. Yeah. And she said, uh, she goes, look, you need to go home right today. Four o'clock, Channel 5. You need to watch it. Start watching it. And I'm like, uh, okay. And for some weird reason, I knew enough. This made sense to my logic as a freshman. I said, okay, well, it's on Saturday mornings as a cartoon. So I'm going to watch it Saturday morning as a cartoon. And if I like it, then I'll watch the live action, which makes no sense at all. Because (laughs) the live action would always be better than the cartoon ripoff version, right? Sure. But I did. And so I think the first Star Trek I actually watched, I had a memory of stumbling across it. I know this. A few months earlier, I had stumbled across on Sunday afternoon flipping channels. And yes, that was a thing we used to do, kids. And um, <laughs> I had this vague idea. And now I know what it was. I stumbled into watching just for a few minutes. And I went, uh-huh. Okay. And then I went on. But there was this like whirling colored energy ball floating along a corridor. And then right behind it was a guy in a blue and a guy in a red shirt. It's, it's, it's Day of the Dove, right? I know that now. 
which is weird because now I think the first actual episode I saw was an animated. I think it was Beyond the Farthest Star. I think. All right. And uh, either that or one of our planets is missing. And then, and then I went okay. And then I started watching After School, and I can't, re- I can't tell you the first one I happened to see live after school a whole hour. Right. Um, except when friend I watched a whole hour after school, our local station would cut the teaser and cut even the voiceover. So they would go from the, you know, the ding, uh-huh. you're watching five KOCO TV in Oklahoma City. Da, 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 da. I mean, they would cram in the commercials like all of them did in the 70s where you know, we didn't, uh, you know, it, it would skip to the, to the, even kept, cut the voiceover and just go right to the theme. So you had like 10 seconds of theme and then another commercial and then come back. And it wasn't uh-huh. until I was in college and watching a superstation and it was like, oh, oh, there's that. That's what that. Like I'd see a scene in magazines and books. Yeah. Well, that's what that's from. Oh, okay. I think even by then we had the concordance. I kind of knew, but I saw these facts in the concordance. I had no clue about. I was like, yeah. oh, it's all this exposition stuff in the tea. Anyway, so that's yeah. my. So there, I answered. There's a double whammy for you. That was my first <laughs> Star Trek. And you know what? And it took me a while to realize it. And and even at times over the years, I quickly realized I was not a typical fan. In that, uh-huh. when I started. I mean, the first time I went to a con a few years later in college and an, an overnight convention, a real, a real one. Yeah. I had, I, I took all of my, I took my tech, I took my tech manual, my medical reference, my making of Star Trek book, which is like, I had all the books, my blueprints, yeah. my enterprise blueprints, maybe even taken my Klingon blueprints by the, it's like, I put everything and you could put everything in one box that maybe like a stereo. I literally remember this, my stereo turntable came in. So, you know. Not a big box. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> Everything that I had that was Star Trek background in it. I never bought the Blish novels because it was like, well, that's on TV. You know that. What what do you why do I need to read it in a book for? Yeah. And you know, anyway, but that was where my head was working. And I thought we would all go and sit around and talk Star Trek, meaning if you're talking Star Trek, you're talking about background and you know, now what we'd call canon and all that. Right. Or make or making of if you knew a little enough about it. And I got there and I was like, oh, we do not all sit around and talk about Star Trek A, much less Star Trek's background and making of. Okay, well, the, you know, first lesson. <laughs> so then I realized that the whole Star Trek world was built on Spock and Vulcan and and the uh, the whole explosion of fan fiction and the zine editors, that zine editors were the core of clubs and conventions. Yeah. And that's where, you know, and then Star Wars happened and that's where it, I was like, oh, okay. And then later on, I realized that I was probably at a 5% minority or 10%, but it was all good. It was all good. But that was, yeah, that was uh, kind of where I realized my first, but so my, what I'm saying here is my first takeaway, the first impulse I had, instead of some people that went, Oh my God, I've right, got to write the story about Spock and Amanda and, and Sarek that, you know, yeah. didn't see on screen. And, you know, you, you're taking our show away from us without finishing it. So I'll show you, I'll just make my own stories. I mean, that was the, you know, I'll do my yeah. own Star Trek since you canceled it. Right. So while you were campaigning to get it back, you were also making your own. And for most people, making your own meant making more stories. And for some of us, a vast minority, it was filling in all the pages the tech manual didn't have. Or it yeah. was, you know, organizing the stars and planets because they obviously fit some, you know, pattern. And French yeah. Joseph didn't go far enough with this. So the medical reference didn't go. Anyway, so that was my. So today we have the word, you know, we have world building. 
and cannon keeping and retcon and that before I called it that it was I called it gap filling and cannon smooth or cannon smoothing <laughs> later. But anyway, yeah, so that was yeah. what grabbed me first, and then and then later on uh, when I accidentally got the companion contract is when I really leaned into uh, making of. Like I always yeah. loved, but I was a kid in Oklahoma, and and yay, thank you. Uh, the background work that I did, the 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 canon work, got me the interview the makers end of things, and that's been you know knowing the road taken as well as the road not taken, yeah, you know, and all of that. So that's 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 what it is. And it took me until Leonard Nimoy died to realize that, and somewhere on a spectrum to realize that I wasn't. I wasn't uh, a humanist. I mean, I wasn't uh -huh. like above all of the all of the beloved, you know, traits of Star Trek. Why it's attracted most audience, you know, like the, yeah. the humanity, the diversity, the future optimism, all of that was in there. I just, I just kind of took it for granted. I took Gene at his word sure. when he said, uh, "Well, look, if we don't all learn to get along, and we don't blow the world up or poison the earth, and we don't blow up each other, yeah." We'll never actually live to the point where we can have cool adventures meeting aliens in space and learning about it. We won't have survived learning our own world, much less, you know, be entitled to meet others if we haven't right. met ourselves. Yeah. And so to me, Star Trek was, well, yeah. Well, yeah. It's like, well, yeah, of course we've got peace. We've all learned to get along somehow. You know, it's like, well, yeah, that's a yeah. given. Now let's move on. <laughs> right exactly and i didn't self-examine that until way later when i saw people were like but they're all equal and there's no racism and misogyny and what you know gene's thing about all in the everyone and and all the little children will know how to read you know that uh-huh yeah it, it was like well yeah okay now moving on and i realized that's <laughs> where so many people lived you know Mm -hmm. So sure, and I was like, okay, I never meant to take any of that for granted. Of course, that's a vaunted part of Star Trek. It's just yeah. that my attention went immediately, not just to the cool, shiny stuff, but the thing. But you know, because I was always like, and I, and I promise I'll take a breath. <laughs> so my favorite two, my favorite two uh, episodes of the original series, which was Star Trek for you know the first twenty years or ten years for me, was. Um, was just Doomsday Machine, just because of the music and and William Wyndham and Decker and I just I just the yeah, grippingness yeah. of that and the music, the you know everybody thinks of the and, I, and how John Williams ripped Saul Kaplan off <laughs> and all that. But my other was Journey <laughs> to Babel, even though I had lots you know Muck Time and City on the Edge and all that yada yada. But yeah, the Babel was the one time they showed Federation and politics and the other species interacting and it was a very limited you know way and, but it's yeah. the only time i'm i just remember as star trek blew up thinking well of course we love the enterprise and of course we love kirk spock and mccoy and scotty and the whole bunch yeah but it's you know there's a whole world a whole universe going on outside that ship you mentioned you accidentally got a contract to do the companion. So how did that all happen? How did how did you get tapped to do the Next Generation companion? When we heard about Next Generation coming, it was at the same time as the first Macs were coming out, and and desktop publishing was the buzzword and laser printers. And I said, I'm going to start over, and I'm going to keep my own, you know, basically my own concordance. I'm going to keep yeah. entries of things you know no this is me sitting in oklahoma no i had a um i bought a forehead vcr because they recorded cleaner than two heads right okay and on on fast speed 
so that when you paused, you didn't get the static lines. We're talking VCRs, kids, and VHS tape. <laughs> and you could read something on pause, and starting then and until the end of Enterprise, which was a lot of change in life by then, yeah. but I taped every week from home, and I had a really got a Mitsubishi because they would do this. If you paused, it was like instantaneous pause. There was no back and forth. So if it would go to commercial and the bumper started, the da 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 da, da you know, going to commercial, yeah. I would stop and back up a few frames and basically recorded all those 18 years of, wow. of Berman Trek without commercials, which made it a great aid. Even people that taped the show, you'd have to run through commercials and all that. But anyway, so yeah. I had this clear thing that when it, but I did that. I got a Macintosh. I had a Macintosh Plus. Uh, I had a laser writer. Um, so basically, I did my own. I had a evangel a Mac Evangelist to tell me about FileMaker, and I started doing my own databases. Today we have Memory Alpha. You've got Mike yeah. and Denise's encyclopedia, even. Yeah. But before any of that, I was doing my own thing. Doing I was doing Bjo Plus basically my own way, and I didn't know what it would lead to, but I just wanted to start it. And I would talk to like Richard Arnold at cons, meet him. And he was like, well, B. Joe's supposed to be working on, but, and we're sending her scripts. And I was like, oh God, I wish I had scripts. But um, he'd say, but she's not doing anything. So you, you ought to just keep her. So after a, a couple of years, I sent him a copy and he like tossed his cookies because all the, by then they were, gen they had their writer's guides to start, but out of the gate, they were generating so much background that the writers and their assistants couldn't keep up with it. All sure. they could do was go, I think that was in, I think that was in Code of Honor or what, you know, the right. battle. Yeah. And the assistant <laughs> would go to the file and be flipping through a script trying to find something. So it was chaotic enough those early years without that. And after the first one, he was like, oh my God. So every year I would do an annual one and publish it as a zine and sell maybe 50, 60, 70 copies self-published. Wow. But it was laser printed, which was a revolution then. You look yeah. And I would do like a limited number set of TNG one, TNG two, TNG. And after the first two or three years, Richard would get me the spellings from scripts of the of the made up words that weren't real words, like planet names and character names, yeah, that's drugs, cool. you know, things, animals. And he at first we did them on the I would write them out and he would send them back. But after that, and I would say, here's the episode. And after that, we'd just get on the phone. He would take like an hour or so with me. And then the first time I actually was on vacation, he gave me, I, I got a tour from Richard of the sets. And we came back to the Hart building for the first time. And he introduced me to two or three of the assistants, like walking by. And it was funny because he would say, uh, hi, you know, and, and there would be fans and other people come by all the time, especially if, yeah. if Richard was leading them around. Richard Arnold, now the late Richard Arnold, but was Gene's yeah. right-hand man. And problematic at times <laughs> with people, I'll say. <laughs> but in this case, uh, he would introduce me to people walking by, and they would go, yeah, like to them, it was like, yeah, yeah, somebody, another one of Richard's tour people. But yeah. he would always say, this is the guy from Oklahoma who sends us the, Concord the, the writer's thing every year. And then their eyes would light up and it was like, oh, that guy, you know, it was like, oh, my God, you saved my ass with my boss every, you know, every week. Like you saved me so much yeah. time. And I'm like, oh, OK, <laughs> you know, which is like that perspective. I didn't know the other side of the, you know, it was like, yeah. oh, and after two or three of those, I was like, oh, OK, 
you know, then it, it's like the writers at Next Gen are using my concordance, the writers and their yeah. assistants to make their lives a little easier. And maybe the unspoken thing is here is like make less, you know, continuity mistakes or, yeah. or a lot, be a lot more efficient. So then Richard said, you know, B. Joe's not doing anything with her thing. We should tell we should give your name to pocket and tell them you should be doing it. And I'm like, yeah, you should be doing that. <laughs> so that's what that's what happened. Yeah. Oh, after five years, they were very gunshot. Remember, if if you were around then, Pocket was not doing anything official. You know, the official license publisher. Yeah. They were doing novels, right? But there was nothing. There was no behind the scenes in universe or making of either style. Yeah. And they finally commissioned a tech manual from Mike and Rick, from Mike Akut and Rick Sternbach. Yeah. Like in the fourth season, and it took a year for it to come out. And then they, they talked to me. And so I was going, hey, if it happens, I've got it all written. Here it is. I'll just collate the five years or six, whatever. and put. Well, they got to me and said, okay, the good news is we want you to do this. But the, the other news is we've already talked to Mike Akuda about doing an encyclopedia, and he's going to combine B. Joe's. And basically, he's going to do it combined, not just a TNG. And oh, I'm like, okay. oh. But they want you to do a making of book. Can you do that? And like, uh, okay. And then can you do it in three months? I'm like, yeah, exactly. My vision is the you know the classic making of. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm in Oklahoma. I've not interviewed any of the like. I and the bottom line to me was, this cannot be something that's cranked out fast. Yeah. And that every fan that I know, I know that. I know that Ash. It's like, oh, they just stamped Star Trek on this and it's crap. But they want us to buy it. But there's yeah. nothing here. You know, it's like uh -huh. 200 pages and it's five pages of anything good. It's just filler. It's just crap they cranked out. It's like, yeah. that cannot be me. If my name is on it, it's got. So I went crazy. I looked at, I kept my star logs. I kept my, you know, magazines, books, everything that, that people had done one off interviewing in. Yeah. I actually, you know, the first edition, the first five years was actually end noted. I just come out of grad school or been out of grad school a few years. So it's all end noted, which is very rare in Star Trek books, uh, book days. But between that and then I did go out for one week where I learned so many lessons. I didn't I didn't know enough to get in sync with the show to know that when I went in the spring, I went on my deadline time, but they were still very much like, like three fourths of the way through the season. Yeah. And this was fifth season. The world was not set up for documenting and nonfiction writers and, you know, much less YouTube, much less the studio spending money on this the way it is. Right. Now. Yeah. And it was like, we're doing a show here. Get out of here. You know, it was like I talked to Bob Justman, thank God, for four hours at his house. Mm -hmm. They set that up. But all the way things were supposed to work was so clunky. That and this I can I could probably do a book on this, but basically I had to there was no magic open the gates, roll out a red carpet. Here's an official author coming to interview everybody for the first book about next gen. Yeah. You know, it was like, I would have time. You know, I'll I'll call you back later. We're all you know, we're we've got the hiatus in our sights and we're on a dead run to get out of here. Sure, yeah. And and just at not just the attitudes, but it's like, but this isn't a feel like they they're all doing their own thing. Nobody cares. Now some people did, and they're like, I just can't. And I talked to people by phone. I talked to all the writers by phone later on, but I only had two or three live interviews. Finally, on the fourth or fifth day, and just some outright weirdness about even being on the lot. Like I was secretly a fanboy, going to rip off half the half of the, the right, studio. Sure. Yeah. I'm like, I've been vetted. I have been hired by your official. You know what? 
but in the long run, I realized, to, and then I got a delay when Leonard Nimoy was fighting licensing because they had let the the Fruity Pebbles commercial go I with Barney Berry. But yeah, everybody remembers yeah. that. He was mad yeah. that Paramount didn't intercede to stop that because he thought it was you know degrading to Spock's image and, and yeah. you know, whatever. So he withheld his image approval. So when we finally did the book, what was the biggest highlight of the first five years of Next Gen? Spock coming on in, uh, unification, right? Finally, right. yeah. Find the big uh -huh. debate. Will they ever, you know? Yeah. And I got three more months because they were trying to resolve that impasse with him and they didn't. So in return for me getting three more months of a deadline, I had six months instead of three months. Um, even then, the first edition, the unification, you know, unification part two had no pictures of Spock. I know, I know. And then after about two or three printings, they they resolved it and put his pictures in. So if you you might have an old blue cover companion that has no anymore. Yeah, but, obviously the companion, you know, changed my life really. Yeah, you know, brought us to L.A. We just we I came on a couple of trips every year at the end of seasons, and then we decided to move because I was really bumping my head on the ceiling in Oklahoma, what I can do. And I didn't, you yeah. know, and then life and then life was exploding as Trek was exploding through the nineties, you know? So another, another uh, volume I have by my side at all times is your stellar cartography. Which oh, cool. Yeah. Several years later. I love that. So talk to me a little bit about how you, cause it's mind boggling to me, how you put that together. <laughs> how did you figure out where all the planets are and how'd you do that well number one biggest thing mm -hmm. of all is i'm standing on the shoulders there of everybody who came before me sure. basically meaning uh a couple of a couple of go rounds taking a stab at it even yeah. french even of everything in the tech manual the original star trek tech manual france joseph tried to do a stellar a basic stellar layout and start doing star in the middle of everything yeah. else he was doing pioneering and the first I was talking about those days when the concordance and the blueprints grabbed me. Yeah. My really first first thing I did was organize the making of because there is no index. <laughs> and I retyped a guy. It looks a lot like a writer's guide, but I pulled sections out and organized it like by taught like phasers, deflectors, you know, the federation, whatever parts yeah. of the ship. And then the second thing was I tried to I tried to make some pages that would fill in the gaps that were in the outline for the tech manual. Yeah. But really, the huge thing was when I got B. Joe's Concordance and I saw all the stars and planets, and it struck me how there were a lot of real stars in there, right? Rigel, Capella, yeah. Arcturus, you know, Altair, uh, Alpha Centauri, and and then all the fictional ones and the planets. But it just hit me. It's like, oh, my God, there's so many stars. And they're also just – someone needs to organize these guys. Well, I took this, the French Joseph outline – which is yeah. using the real galaxy, you know, the basic form of the Milky Way and finding where we, we knew by then where we were within the Milky Way, where Saul, our system, was in the Milky Way. Yeah. And I started, to, and I did, I did a complete system for that. Everything from the original series located, either trying to do it as an actual, either if it was an actual star, find where it was. And then if it wasn't, do all the fictional stars by story point and then orient that. But it was on yeah. his scale. After that, I wrote to Jeff Mandel. I wrote to the medical reference editor, and eventually it got passed around to, of all people, Jeffrey Mandel, who was in New York. 
and said, um, thank you. A lot of people have told me that star can't possibly be the Klingon's home system, but you're the nicest one. Everybody else is screaming about it in their letters. <laughs> we're le- we're writing letters, right? Uh-huh, sure. So, and even long-distance phone calling was way too expensive for college kids and people in their first job to afford, right? Yeah. So we started writing back and forth, and he said, I do a nonfiction zine. I'd love to put these – and I had done my charts, and they telescoped, and, you know, the close stars and all – and he said, I'd love to put the I'd love to put it in my graphic style and do it. And he did. And just as it was about to publish within everything else, the the what became the Star Trek maps came along. He got pulled into that when the guy doing it uh was killed in a traffic accident. Oh. And it made but it was a much smarter scale that fit the the ability of warp drive because the, yeah. the French Joseph charts are on way too huge a scale in the galaxy. So sure. everything I had been doing for two or three, including like Letra set rub-ons, like I have a poster, the original poster I did, there's, you know, there's probably thousands of individual letters that I hand rubbed on, you know, back of a wow. big white paper. But, um, and then he did it as graphic boards, you know, for pages in a page format. And um, that blew me up. I was so excited to be published, you know, when I, you know, and it was like, oh, but he he had some stars to fill out some sections, and he uh, named a star Nemechek. And he's like, "I hope you you know." But I didn't like the fact that he had like a Disney star and a THX eleven thirty eight yeah. star. And yeah, like you've just made these. I call them. I said, these are just patronage stars. You've just made them jokes, and this isn't real. We didn't have the term. It's not canon. And I was like, "This isn't real." <laughs> <laughs> but he named one for me as a sop to having to losing, you know, being not part of it. Yeah. Like, but so all my friends teased me. It was like, oh, Larry, show us your star. You know, it was like, <laughs> but that's where my original business name was My Star Press and My Star Media. That's where it came from. Because oh, I was like, okay. show you. It's like I turned it around and I was like, yeah, yeah, there's my star. Like, you know, <laughs> go ahead and make, I, you know, I kind of like, I owned it, I guess. That's it. But then, but then. When the price episode, so that's that went along, but then very quickly, next gen happened. Mike Akuda came up with the gra- the quadrant system for the price to yeah. communicate big distance scales, uh-huh. and then within that, and they sketched out where the Klingons, Romulans, Cardassians, and the Borg are over here in the Delta Quadrant. And from that yeah. rough sketching, and knowing where Saul really Saul really was, and doing that, and then locating the other real stars even even better. Yeah. Then Jeff Mandel came along at the end of Voyager and did the quad, did the maps that were in astrometrics and made them canon. And then especially on Enterprise when they were so close because it was the first ship just going out slow, five, warp five, everything had to be really, or in his mind, had to be scientifically there. And he started yeah. laying the groundwork for his book, O2, The Star Charts, and then yeah. with the foldouts. And then by the time 10 years had gone by, people were scanning those and putting them together to have sure. one big chart. Uh-huh. And that's when they came up with the idea to do stellar cartography and, and came. And I think they probably went to Jeff and he didn't want to do it, but he wanted to be part of it. And they brought, because that's how Jeff and I met years later uh-huh. by the time of me working on the book and being around the lot by then during generations, the end of next generation and into generations, they had so, hi, hired some more people in the art department. And I went up to get some things or do some research with Mike and Mike Akuta said, Larry, someone I want you to meet and walked over and he goes, Larry, this is Jeff Mandel. And, and my jaw dropped. It was like all those years ago, we had, we didn't even talk long distance because we were poor kids. We were students and couldn't afford long distance. Yeah. All we had done was write back and forth, which is great because now it's preserved. 
but it was amazing. It's like, you know, 15, 20 years later, here we are wow. eating in person. And when he got the chance to work on the book, he had like six or eight people help him do that. And so then Stellar Cartography. But it was weird how this thing that we had done as, I say kids, as college kids, and then years later, he's doing it on the show for real. And it was such a disappointment to me. Yeah. Winds up being, you know, and then doing all kinds of other things, just mainstream interviewing and, you know, and I started off being a cannon smoother and a gap filler. And then I became a chronicler of, you know, the behind the scenes making of, and it was so cool to get to go back around to the cool days of the blueprints and the tech manual and the medical reference and go back around and be able to, to do some retconning and some gap filling and make sense of a lot of things. If nothing else, I'm most proudest of making sense of the dominion war and choreographing it. Yeah. But so I inherited Jeff's database, but then still I had to update it for everything. Like the last three years of enterprise. Yeah. And, prime parts of the movie the 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 jj movie and uh, and then we got to update it in 2018 the first year now it needs a huge update now sure but the good thing is licensing our friend john van sitters sent that at the beginning of discovery and you watch the first year of discovery and Lorca's ready room with the war charts yeah it's i've got bad. slides where i combine them and it's right there there it's their graphic style but they're mm-hmm. using the layout and and the whole thing so it's awesome That's to cool. be able to help be the latest yeah. in the line of people trying to organize all that and have it be consistent from show to show. Uh, you've turned Star Trek. Uh, I don't know if this is the right term for it, but you've turned Star oh, Trek. Don't blame me. No, I'm. <laughs> no, you've turned it into a little cottage industry for yourself. You're doing all kinds of like you. You've got all these publications. You've got Portal Forty Seven, which I want to talk to you about. You've got Trek Files. I mean, it's sort of become your life right is star trek is well that's almost uh, inseparable from star trek at this point well i will say this is the other thing i'll say i love getting introduced as like larry the trivia king it was like (laughs) no like i have a degree in theater i have a degree Uh in journalism i worked 10 years in real news you know i i mean i didn't think about in the time it's like a lot of things you, you just go and then after a few years yeah. You go, oh, you look back and you go, oh, I guess I took all the positives of Star Trek for granted. Like I didn't yeah. get in them and sit in them. I just uh-huh. assumed them and went on, you know, and one of those kinds of, you know, insights after a few years is I think somewhere the the idea of because I'm I'm a fan and I would be reading, you know, yeah. I'd read the same Pablum interviews over and over and over again. I would read the same interviews of the actors who we love, but it's like did anybody talk to Fred Phillips? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, did right. anybody talk to Irvin Th- or Feinberg? You know, yeah. the prop guy on the originals. And it's like, I, we need them as we, we've got bukus of recollections from actors. Do we have the paperwork? Has, I know Bob Justman's talk, but has anybody got, you know, Gene Kuhn died way too soon. He's lost to us, you know? Yeah. So part of that was me being a fan, knowing what I wanted to see and what, what was fine, but what I, but I never saw that I wanted. Now I knew by then that I was a minority, but still that's okay. It's like that minority <laughs> is like me would want to know this. So part yeah. of this, what do I never see? It's like when people talk about their diversity in, in seeing actors, it's like, I never see myself on screen. I'm not, I'm not comparing myself to people who are like fighting for social justice here, but sure, it's a sure. little bit of, it's a hint of that. It's like, 
the other thing that I love is I used to go up to Steve Walker's Denver conventions because it was like in my mind, like what a Star Trek convention should be. But it was like 12 hour drive, Oklahoma City up to Denver. But yeah. we would do it because his cons were so good. The late great Steve Walker just passed oh, a couple wow. years ago. Oh, but wow. what they did in Denver for 20, 30 years, I think. But I remember that's the first time I saw I got to see actual Star Trek people on stage with a you know big room. Yeah, uh, that was it was Patrick Stewart's first convention. The uh, weekend that Heart of Glory aired, he oh. was the guest with with DeForest Kelly was the, wow. were the two. Yeah, but I just and I think it was when Jonathan was on stage. But I remember the sensation. People were doing Q and A, right? And people would ask uh, uh, various questions, and if it was a making of type question, I think it was Jonathan would say, "You know what." That's a Herman Zimmerman question. Or you know what? That's a Michael Westmore question. Or you know what? That's a Dan Curry question. You know, or you know what? That's an Alan Sims prop question. Or that's a Bob Blackman yeah. question. Uh-huh. And after three or four or five of those, I was sitting in the audience going, then why aren't they on stage? Right. And that was kind of a similar and it was like, okay, well, I know why, because you know, if it was up to me, I would throw TechCon and it would only be uh-huh. those people, and we'd have 12 people attend and I'd go broke. And that's why. <laughs> Now it's changed a lot since then. Uh-huh. But sure. Is, but that's that's where my impulse was coming. It's like we all love the actors, but we're all gonna hear from them from now till you know Timbuktu. Right. It's like yeah. they're not the problem. It's everybody else who makes the everybody who's baking the cake and you're you're remembering the icing on top. And that's yeah. cool. Uh-huh. And I'm not I'm not denigrating the role of actors creating their their characters. No, of course, but so what I was trying to get to there was after a few years, I realized I would I would read interviews with actors again. No one is pioneer, you know, no one's speaking out for the you know the writers, much less everybody else down the line. Yeah, but also some of the stuff was just was just not professional, you know. Or people would talk to somebody I want to talk to and not ask the specific questions that I wanted specific answers to. Right. And so somewhere along the way, I thought you know somewhere between the magic. Or people were just totally ignorant of the way, and I didn't know the way the industry worked. I was, but I, I sure that one trip, I sure learned a hell of a lot of how the industry worked. Sure, you know, like if you're doing 26 episodes a season, by the time you get down to about episode 20, all you care about is getting to the finish line. I mean, you're still <laughs> doing the best work you can if you're on a show like Star Trek. Sure, I mean, you. I learned. I added to my, but the fact of being around entertainment, both actors and writer directors and creatives, like art people and visual effects, yeah. all you know, I I had that DNA in me, although not you know not on a Hollywood level, but I got the instinct, and I somewhere along the way I realized that I think the idea of being a trained, I have a I have a minor in communications, but I wrote 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 worked in news, um, but having being around actors. And directors and writers, yeah. even if it's mm-hmm. more staged than film, but still, but that the the attitude and the the carriage, you know, yeah, somewhere between having a background of of entertainment, theater, acting, directing, and journalism, and then being a fan, like yeah. I would see people bringing communicating for us with one of those qualities, but not the other two, or maybe two of the qualities and not the third. And I thought, and I didn't think about them, but I think maybe what what equipped me or made me good at this. Or yeah. made people want to trust me, and I know in the beginning that was a big thing. I wasn't a bo- I wasn't a bozo. I didn't ask dumb questions. I was very specific, and I got where they were coming from, yeah. you know. And if somebody said something, I would like listen to what they were saying and go with that. Now here's my list of twelve questions I'm going to ask you, you know. Uh huh. And and 
so I mean, looking back, but also it was yeah, I was a fan, but I was a fan that knew how to channel it to meet people professionally and also answer the needs of what you know, with magazine or book I was I yeah. was doing. And you've got this online presence that you called Portal Forty Seven. How did that develop? Well, that was so three or three, two or three things there. A, I just told you about my passion for my passion for, but also I'm a big defender of the underdogs. Mm-hmm. which is why McCoy and Scotty and especially McCoy became my favorite characters. Not that I don't enjoy and appreciate Kirk and Spock, obviously, but sure. they get all the attention early on. Yeah. You know, um, that's why I've become such a big Tellarite fan of Andorians and Tellarites. And then Andorians finally got their due on enterprise. Yeah. But it's like, Hey guys, who's the only founder of the Federation we've never gone to the home world of. Yeah. You know? The, yeah. After all these years. So that's a streak of me, and and you've just heard me go on and on now about remembering all the creatives, the background people, uh, not not you know the actors, yay, but all those people have as much or more to do with the show you see in the end. So my frustration, and then getting to know them and having a rolodex of tons of people, you know, like up and down the spectrum of contributing to the shows backstage, yeah, and uh, you know even security guards and and craft service people who who were because if you were at Star Trek, chances are. You were there whenever you came. You the Berman era, especially. You tended to stay, and it was the same true of the you know, Desi. I I miss talking yeah. to those people today, obviously, but as whoever was still around to be able to talk to eventually was was great. And so that whole thing about that passion for years, I had all that, and then when Star Trek went down in 05, like no active, and then when the world started to change and everything went digital and everything big box and paper went away, yeah. and and the world for me blew up out here in 05. Um, the communicator was had been bought out. Dan Madsen had been bought out by Decipher and Decipher Games all but imploded. Uh, yeah. Some inter- uh, internal <laughs> issue there. But, you know, Star Trek was canceled. Rick Berman's contract was up. The world thought that we were burned out on Star Trek. And everything, just everything that had been around for 20, that I came out to L.A. on. Blew up, and I thought, well, I should get back into journal. I had never had to stop to think about anything else, and and then people in journalism were saying, "Oh no, this is a wasteland because everything's going online, and nobody, you know, it's like, how do I, how do I, you know, pay rent? How do I do a mortgage? How do I, you know, support my my older family by then? But how do I do this?" And the world was just kind of in chaos, and I was grappling for what to, should I just go sell shoes now? What what's supposed to happen? You know? Yeah. And I eventually, and there were things still happening, bits and pieces, and it was that way with a lot of the Trek world. And you know, and I said, "Well, I'll get in, I'll get on board with the new world. Just what you know, what's this online thing? What are we doing?" Yeah. And basically, the world was saying, "You know what? We're still writing the manual on it <laughs> in the late aughts. <laughs> you know, yeah. We'll tell you as soon as we got it figured out." And I'm like, "Guys, I gotta live now. What's happening?" Oh. And even then, you know, things happening, but. Um, yeah. Finally, uh, by 2013, 2014, 2015, I was guesting a lot of, on podcasts were starting to happen. And I was a guest on Trek FM with Chris Jones. And one day he said, you know, the podcast with you are our most downloaded shows. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I should do that someday. But I, I'll wait until we have like, everybody's got one now. So I'll yeah. wait until maybe we have cameras and I'll do it on camera. And that'll be a different thing. Because I didn't want to just do what everybody else was doing. I sure. wanted to find something new to contribute and not just pile on the pile. Yeah. And and then I also came across an entrepreneur's coach. Uh, I didn't have a lot of money to throw into it, but basically said, whatever your creative thing is, we'll find a way to make a steady income out of it. Now, 
wife would argue with you and say, oh, really, this is a career? <laughs> like, really? Like, we're, we're rolling in the dough here? Like, what, you know, it's, it's not quite what a doctor or lawyer would have. And it's like, well, hon, I'm a little too late to go to law school now or medical school. Right. But uh, the world was changing and we didn't quite know, right? And then on top yeah. of that, we had the, the subprime, you know, crisis in 08, 10, 20. Anyway, it's been, a, it's been a long road getting from there to here. And it's still not <laughs> there, there. So thank you for all of the attention and praise. Fortal 47 is the way my coach helped me figure out my passion and also my okay. my passion, my memories, my own archive, and my Rolodex of people. Because I knew I have this – somebody helped me come up with this saying I didn't invent it. But Portal 47 is for all the Star Trek fans who have no idea how much Star Trek they still have no idea about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and And coming up with a package, a regular package to – get that to people and also on the other end get a lot of people who have seldom if ever been recorded for their star trek contributions and had yeah. that you know and it all happened right at the time and i started with free conference call and it started off as just phone audio calls and within two or three months they added slide uh, screen sharing you know slideshow mm -hmm. sure yeah and then went a couple of months they added camera and this was this was 2015 and 2016 so way yeah. before the pandemic and the world went to zooming um, we were doing this, yeah. and I was having to explain what virtual, how this worked, you know, and a lot of the guests didn't have webcams, and uh -huh. if they were retired, and it was, so some of the early ones are still just a slideshow with a voice, <laughs> but um, but that was my way of finally doing what I wanted to do, preserve what I wanted to preserve, serve fans with it, yeah. and and then hopefully have some income from it, because, you know, Star Trek's a Star Trek is a franchise and you can't just run off and, you know, there's, you can do making of, you know, non-fictional analysis work, but even and then there again, images, you know, images are a licensed thing. You, you know, so there's all the tricky, it's not like I'm just going to go out and, and do be a plumber or right. I'm going to coach somebody or be a teacher. If I'm going to work in the franchise, it's got to be by, by the book and by the rules and not cross any lines. It was just announced there's going to be a Lifetime Achievement Award oh, yes. Uh, yes. for the Next Generation cast. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, uh, yay. I mean, who who better? And the Saturn Awards are, you know, sci-fi, fantasy, horror genre. Yeah. So, yes, of course, <laughs> you should be doing that. And <laughs> and it's something, you know, as iconic, you know, we still have Walter, we still have Shatner, we still have George. Mm -hmm. and, and almost everyone else from the production team is, has passed now. Uh, Andrea Weaver, who was the second, third season woman's costumer, is still with us because she was like 22 oh, wow. worked on the show and she's awesome. Uh, she's another like that's the kind of thing that Portal 47 has brought to people. Yeah. But, um, as iconic as the original series was, and they were all kind of caught like deer in the headlights, right? With the yeah. success and the fame. And they were sure. all icons, but couldn't pay their mortgage, you know, like in the 70s and 80s. It's like if yeah. I'm so famous, why am I don't why don't I feel like it? You know, kind of a thing. But they, not just icons, but they revolutionized so many parts of the business, you know, from syndication to licensing and merchandise to, you know, go down the line. And Next Generation spawned the rest of the, you know, A, showed that you could have a sequel to a show that superseded in a lot of ways, or at least equaled the power of the original. Yeah. You know, it showed that sequels didn't have to be just, you know, bad sophomores. And went all those years, became iconic, spun off other franchises, but also like did its own boom. Like the original series let George Lucas get the last of his financing to do Star Wars. And we had, 
Star Wars, yeah. the sci-fi boom of the time. But next, think of all the genre shows that they that were there because of Next Gen, and then wound up competing with it and with the start, you know, right. Hercules and Xena and Babylon Five and go down the line, you know, of all the and X Files even. I mean, the genre yeah. opened the door to those kinds of things. So. And the fact that they moved so many people 30 years later, the Picard season, A, that there's a Picard series at all, yeah, and B, the season three, um, you know, just revolutionized, you know, the idea that, and it wasn't the first. I mean, we had, um, you know, Hugh Jackman coming back again uh -huh. uh, on screen, but as a series, yeah. small screen, all that. Anyway, so yeah, well-deserved. Whatever they've done apart from Star Trek, it's that double-edged sword of, I want to be something more than the one thing I'm famous for. Yeah. And after a while, you make peace, no matter what else you've done, if you've been Professor X, or really, that will always be your the highlight of your career. You learn to stop running from it and and in, and embrace that and say, yeah. you know what? A lot of people never had one thing to mark mark their contribution to the world, so take it. Right. So no, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's lovely. Well, Larry Nemechek, thank you so much. Um, if you're willing, I'd love to have you back to talk about Trek Files uh, more oh, in sure. depth and other yes. things. This has been fantastic. I, you're a delightful human being, and Aww. I really had a great time with this conversation. So thank you well, so much. Well, thank you um, so much, man. And, you know, I've been following the site uh, ever since its original creator founder started. So uh, <laughs> it's Allison been a great Pitt. handoff, and you guys do so so much good stuff. So, Oh, well, thank you so much. Good on you, too. I appreciate yeah, Thanks that. for having me. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on. Want more videos like this? Join our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month to get early and free access to our videos. Maintaining a website and making videos like this isn't cheap, and our Patreon supporters are the backbone of our mission to bring you the Star Trek news you need to know wherever you are. Your support not only helps us afford the hosting fees for our website and podcast, but also helps us pay our writers. Head over to www.patreon.com slash daily star trek news to help us out. <laughs>